Welcome back to Autopsy of a Horror Movie. My name is Brucker, and today I am joined by two very awesome friends of mine. I am joined by Levi and Rachel. Hey guys, how are y'all doing? Hi. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming back on the show. People, you may remember them from my very fun um, Halloween episode where they came on to rank the 10 shorts in Tales of Halloween. That was a ball i loved that was probably one of my favorite episodes i've done so far <laughs> i know that was so much fun oh i can't we just kept going it just kept going and going and i i was honestly really sad when it stopped yeah it right so, fun. so today the the team assembles again to talk about <laughs> one of my favorite classic horror movies we are talking about the invisible man from 1933 and i am once again making my friends watch movies that they haven't seen before uh, yeah <laughs> But yeah, so I'm really excited to talk about The Invisible Man, and I just want to thank everybody that follows me on Instagram, because this was a vote that I did. I was really jonesing to cover a older movie, like a classic horror movie, and this was the one that won between the Instagram and Twitter polls, votes combined, The Invisible Man won, which actually coincidentally ended up working out really well for... Uh, this will be coming out in June for Pride Month. So uh, there is a, I was telling Levi and Rachel that there's a cool kind of Pride Month thing to go with The Invisible Man that uh, I'll be getting into here in a second. But uh, so guys, uh, what did y'all think of seeing The Invisible Man for the first time? Oh man, where do I start? Um, So yeah, I hadn't seen it before. Um, And Broker, you told me uh, the thing that you let off with was talking about how uh, the special effects hold up even though it's a movie from the 1930s. Right. So I went in with pretty high expectations, and that was exactly what it was. Like, if you would have told me, if you would have told me that this movie was made in, like, the mid to late 80s or early 90s, I would have believed you. Like, honestly. <laughs> it was, re- it held up so, it held up so well. Um, and I, I, I looked on, you know, as as I do, uh, Rotten Tomatoes to see afterwards to see what people said about it and, and a 94% tomato meter and an 85% audience score and I personally I think I would tend more towards closer to the 94 than I would the 85 I thought that mm-hmm. this movie was so good maybe even more than 94 I thought this was so so good um, I I would say that this movie was uh, like I know it's supposed to be a scary movie. I would say that this is more spooky than it is scary. Mm. Like it's not. I, I I didn't go to bed like oh, but I was just like ooh, there there's some there's some creepiness in there. Uh, but as a whole, I I I loved it. I was again, the movies where it feels like it could go on forever and you kind of hope it keeps going <laughs> are the movies that I really really like. The the ones where you finally get to the point where the credits roll or, or or you know that it's reaching the end and you're kind of like ah bummer like mm. though that was that this was one of those movies so i really enjoyed it yeah i really liked it um and i kind of approached it a little honestly like a little like an idiot i was vaguely aware um that like they've done a remake of invisible man and i was like vaguely aware of the plot of that Somewhere in the back of my brain, there's a book called Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison, which is, like, not what this is about. But I always kind of thought that's what this was going to be about. And I was wrong. It's about an actual invisible person. Um, and I like it. Like, we once, many moons ago, um, got to have a really great discussion over the old horror movie, The Thing, where we mm. talked about how I love, like, old horror has to, like, actually make you feel scared because they can't do the same sort of, like oh, big jump scare monster come out of closet kind of thing. And this has a lot of just, like, creepy moments. Yeah, yeah. Um, While it also does have really bombastic special effects, especially Mm -hmm. for 1933. But um, I thought it was super fun, super creepy, and, like, sometimes campy and sometimes funny. And, Mm -hmm. like, sometimes I couldn't tell if it was intentionally funny or if it was funny because it's now, like, 2021. <laughs> um, and so, like, obviously, some of these things are silly. Yeah, now. there's there's definitely stuff to like look at it and go like, oh, isn't that a gas? You know, if, like some of like the overacting that's in it, kind of, or like the camp that's in it. I'm, right. I'm especially thinking of the 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 female uh, in owner. Uh, I was about <laughs> the to say, her yeah. just screaming, just hollering. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Una, I'd like uh, to bring that back. I, <laughs> I would like to be able to scream and faint whenever i yeah. just like i'm not feeling something anymore i think that 
should be reclaimed in 2021. I could just like jump on tables and shriek. Go and get the police. <laughs> I mean, it's just like the sign of the times. Like, mm -hmm. I think I think it fits. It mm. it puts it in the the period in which it was made. The woman fainting and screaming, just ah, just screaming everywhere. It adds a texture to it that goes, oh, this is clearly like very very beginning, you know, of cinema. Right. Like honestly, at, at the rise of cinema for the first real moment, um, and that this is what cinema was because it's. I mean, I guess. This is, I guess, more of a, a Rachel question, but I guess it's like, like as it goes from theater mm -hmm. to, you know, now it's on the big screen. Is this a leak from what was theater? And this is kind of ah! like, this is what you would do yeah. on the stage. And so this is, I mean, this woman who's playing this gal is, you know, whatever, in her 60s, 70s, 80s. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who know? you know, she, she was probably most likely born before cinema was even really kicking yeah when did we start doing when did we even go to so, audio movies? so the first talkie was 1927 just four years before this movie Whoa. four years before this movie and now they're six years before this i guess they or, made it i'm sorry i'm sorry it. i was thinking yeah. of frankenstein but which was 31 but yeah uh <laughs> so oh, 1927 nice. so yeah so six years before this um God, but yeah so it's like so just thinking of the like you know 27s when we got like the first like synchronized audio talkie to we're getting like very very prototype green screen technology in this movie right. and it's a big credit to or a big uh credit to the special effects supervisor that was on this his name was john p fulton and he was the one that figured out how to get all the special mm -hmm. effects to work for this it's instead of you know it being green screen of course it was like black felt so <laughs> same like premise you know they would sh do the shot twice one in front of like a black felt screen and all like the body parts that they wanted to be invisible they would just wrap in felt and then just kind of like superimpose the shots right. that's a very watered down explanation because i don't get it but it's yeah, uh, right right it, that's a whole different yeah episode. the water evaporates and becomes rain right and there's it, way more steps to that yeah exactly so i loved what you were talking about levi about kind of the transition between theater to cinema because you know all of most of the people in here including who we were just talking about uh una o'connor she was you know classically trained uh, mm -hmm. thespian you know and lots mm -hmm. of these people were working you know on stages you know in, in theatrical plays and then they're still trying to transition into this and you even kind of see it with like the camera work because there is this unintentionally hilarious shot in this movie i laugh every single time where we see uh where we see da, 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 uh, Gloria Stewart's character, so the the fiance of the, the Invisible Man, early mm -hmm. on in the movie when she mm -hmm. gets mad at her dad and walks to another room, and the yeah. camera pans, but you see the false wall, and it's just like they didn't give a shit. They're just like, all right, yeah. it's there. We don't know what to do. We can't cut yeah. around it yet. So it's just I laugh so hard every time I see that because it's just like again, it's just kind of like oh, like that's so cute that they thought they could just do that. <laughs> Like, yeah, we're doing right. our best, okay? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm so I'm so glad that this was that this movie was kind of conceived once the talkies started really rolling out specifically because of uh Claude Rains. Uh yes. and the guy who played the Invisible Man cuz I I think one of my favorite parts of of the whole movie was his voice mm. claude rains's voice i give you a last chance to leave me alone you're crazy to know who i am aren't you all right i'll show you which by the way and i looked at it because i heard his voice and it was just this you know and we can talk more about it later too but like it was just so jarring and rattling but also smooth and very silky and it mm -hmm. pulls you in and then it punches you in the gut and terrifies you i was like what else has he and he has done everything including he was the phantom for 1943's the phantom of the opera and i said that is the most true thing i've ever heard i mean like this like silky voice but he's mad on the inside like like in a like an in a intellectual and emotional way he's just mad like and it's so I, it fits so perfectly so yeah if i claude rains was definitely 
got popular in the right time because his voice is captivating. Yes, it is. And that's actually kind of uh, why James Whale picked him for this was for his voice. Um, since since we've been throwing around uh, actors' names, let me go ahead and go over some of the credentials for this before we continue oh, our yeah, discussion. Sure. So The Invisible Man came out in 1933, and it was directed by James Whale, who also directed Frankenstein, The Bride of Frankenstein, this movie, and The Old Dark House all four which are still considered classic horror movies to this day. This was written by R.C. Sheriff, and this is obviously a adaptation of the novel by H.G. Wells, who was who did play kind of like a um, a consultant role in making this, and him and James Whale worked together on kind of like the overall vision of this. So H.G. Wells did kind of like give his stamp of approval on this story. This mm-hmm. This movie stars Claude Rains as the Invisible Man, Gloria Stewart, William Harrington, Henry Traver, and Una O'Connor. Out of that list, I kind of want to point out uh, Gloria Stewart. I don't know if you two saw on IMDb or anything, but so Gloria Stewart played Jack Griffin's fiance in this. She's Mm. also in a movie that I know you two have seen. (laughs) She played present day Rose in the Titanic. No way! Yes. Wow, that is nuts. I see it. I mean, she she was honestly kind of a you know like a, a stud star in in this age, and she was involved in lots of stuff. She was even a founder of the Hollywood anti-Nazi group. Um, I don't know what that did, but she was a founder <laughs> in that. And uh, Henry Traver, who played the older scientist in this, who played her her father. Yeah. You probably recognized him from It's a Wonderful Life. He was Clarence. <gasps> oh, my gosh. I don't know why I didn't put that together. Have you seen It's a Wonderful Life? Oh, like a million years ago. He's uh, the, the <laughs> angel. Clarence. You know, I do. Not, I don't know. I, I don't know I why me you. saying Clarence would be. I really feel like. Clarence. Does that jog if your my, memory? If my brother were here, I'd be like, Clarence. But oh, uh, yeah, oh, yes, yeah, Clarence. Yeah, Clarence. he gets his wings. Oh my gosh, that is so. Oh, I see it now. Now I can't unsee it. Thankfully, God, that is so. I can't believe I missed that. Gosh. I mean, like, I didn't, Cat uh, uh, was, my girlfriend was the one that pointed out the Clarence thing to me, but it wasn't until I did the research I found out about Gloria Stewart. I was like, no freaking way. Like, I've already seen <laughs> yeah, her in a movie yeah. before this. Um, but, so, I want to kind of circle back to the point I made at the beginning about how I think that this is actually kind of an appropriate movie to be covering during Pride Month. Because mm. James Whale, the director of this, was an openly gay director during the 1930s. During the 1930s? Yes, yes. He Whoa. was. Uh, if people tuned in for my Instagram Live, this you've kind of heard the spiel. But uh, James Whale is a really cool, you know, icon, I think kind of like a horror icon and just filmmaker. Uh, a little bit of his background. He's he's British. He uh, During World War One, he served in the British Army. But uh, he was captured and he was captured by the Germans and held as a prisoner of war from uh during world war one but that's where he discovered that he had a passion for drama so after the war he decided to pursue that and moved over to the states where he got hired by universal to make these monster movies starting with frankenstein Whoa. from wow. 1931 and i just think it's so impressive that cause we kind of talked about earlier about how the talkies when he at the point where he made frankenstein the talkies only been around for like four years so I think mm-hmm. it's so impressive that, you know, coming out the gate, you know, transitioning from th- uh, theater to trying to figure out what the hell movies are, and four of his movies are still considered classic horror movies, and four of them have been nominated to be put into the uh, uh, the, the National Congress Library, and Whoa. one of them is on... His movie Frankenstein is on AFI's top 100 list at number 56 still. Damn. So Whoa. I think it's kind of important to, you know, highlight to that, that just how impressive that was at the time and how, I mean, I didn't really know about him until like quarantine forced me to look into <laughs> movies I haven't watched before. And I was like, who is this James Whale guy? I'm really liking yeah, his movies. So yeah, uh, yeah, James Whale, uh, uh, about what some of you were, what we we're kind of saying earlier about. Uh, his actors kind of seem really campy and everything. Apparently, from what I've read online, that's kind of like a kind of like code during this times, like to make your actors be a little campy or 
I'm using the language that was written in the articles I read as sissy. Uh, that was kind of like uh, homosexual coding uh, at mm-hmm. the time. So you kind of put in all like these queer coding in these movies for us to pick up later on, especially like in The Bride of Frankenstein. But I've had Interesting. buddy Dustin, friend of the show, give me kind of like his interpretation of this is that like the Invisible Man can also be kind of seen as like a queer coding as well because it's like hiding who you are. And mm-hmm. even just like, you know, in society and lots of this, we never see his his like physical body with his fiance in this movie at all. Um, mm-hmm. And even when they do have an interaction, he is still technically invisible. So it's there's, there, there's a reading there for that. Mm. it's interesting so it's like if so when he's invisible that's him hiding his true self or that's that they can't see his true self is that the idea behind yeah it? yeah that's kind of like a just that's like a, a read that you could have on that about how this if you wanted to look at this with like a lens of like okay this is there like any sort of like queer coding in this movie that, that could mm. be like a takeaway you get from this gotcha gotcha yeah. gotcha gotcha yeah i was it's interesting that was probably and maybe it's just because i don't I don't understand, or and maybe it's just because it was kind of a, a a side quest. The love story, you know, and it kind of was the love story between the two of them. Uh, I, I forget the character's name, but the Invisible Man and his fiance. Um, that was, in my opinion, one of the weaker sides of this movie. Yeah, there I, are no honestly, like real female characters in this. <laughs> yeah, not really. Yeah, it just yeah, the love story was not really something that I think was super fleshed out, which I get no pun intended, which I guess it was <laughs> which I guess was like supposed to be, that's what it was kind of supposed to be. It was like this like oh, this is on the side, but like oh, the invisible man. But I, honestly, that's one of the only weak points of the movie why you know what keeps it from being 100 percent in my mind mm. as part of it but it's still definitely safely in the 90s mm-hmm. and interestingly and i could be misreading this um i love seeing differences between books and movie adaptations and i don't think she's a character in the book like i think they invented her for the movie huh you're about the barkeep um, or flora his fiance uh, flora his fiance oh interesting oh, no. no the barkeep is oh the barkeep like make sure the yeah. barkeep is there the book is actually from the pov of the barkeep uh no <laughs> <laughs> yes of um, course yeah i don't think flora is in it and I think if I'm also not mistaken, something that's really fascinating is that Griffin... Is Griffin the Invisible Man? Yes. Yeah, Jack Griffin. Yes. Perfect. Thank you. I wanted to make sure I said that before I got it completely wrong. Um, Griffin has albinism. He is a human who is albino. Oh, interesting. In the book? Uh-huh. Whoa. So he's trying to hide himself because he's an outcast because of his appearance? I think the motivation was the same. I think that's just like... Well, the motivation in the movie wasn't for him to hide. It was like a discovery. Yeah, he wanted to discover this super cool science. Right, mm-hmm. but it was the, the motivation in the book to hide his albinoism? It doesn't go... I, I mean, it could be. If you... Hello. If you have read H.G. Wells' The Invisible Man, please write in. Um, <laughs> hello. <laughs> hello, if you're out there listening live. Um, it looks like the motivation was the same. He was trying to under... Like, trying to discover this, like, very cool new science hmm. he tries to turn a cat invisible um oh interesting and then tries to turn himself invisible because like, he it, intentionally was trying to make himself invisible mm-hmm. interesting but, okay yeah because that's something that they don't really explore is like what type of experiments exactly that he was doing in this mm-hmm. but that kind of right. also brings me to a point that i love about this movie is that I find it so interesting where this movie decides to start off. It's just, he's already invisible. He's entering this bar. He's the outcast person. And it's kind of like flipped because, um, like horror is like a common sort of like trope is to have like a creepy small town and like you, the outsider come in and you're in danger. But in this, it's like a small town where like, you know, it's kind of safe, but then like this dangerous person comes into it. Um, right and right. i kind of love that like we over the course of the movie we get this slow backstory on like what happened just through like exposition but it's i don't know i really like how this just starts off right off the bat with him being creepy and it's just like it just hooks you real quick yeah yeah and, and i mean it follows kind of the the healthy rule of show don't tell mm-hmm. so we don't we don't get like a you know we don't get another uh 
uh, Bruce Wayne watches his parents die again, you know, and again, you know, it's not like the, you're, you're giving this very lengthy prologue to set up. Okay. Now the movie can start. It's a, you, we are throwing you smack dab in the middle of this narrative and you're like, Oh shoot. What is going on? <gasps> Wait, they're all, oh, they're engaged. Oh, Oh, he's always oh, going crazy. Like, right, oh, yeah. so, mm-hmm. like you get to play. I mean, you know, more. You, you like as the as the audience, we know a lot of what's going on more than the people who are actually experiencing it. So it's not like you're playing detective necessarily, but you are slowly trying to figure things out, and they show it in such a way that it's really easy to follow. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think that's I think that's good. What did he do first, this or Frankenstein? Frankenstein. Frankenstein was thirty one. Okay. This was thirty three. Okay, that would make sense then, because Frankenstein has to have the creation story. And mm-hmm. so, if you don't want to then essentially do the same thing back to back of like, here's how the monster gets created, mm-hmm. then the monster does things, the monster is a misunderstood genius, end plot, and then like repeat it all over again with this. Right. I think yeah. this was a super cool way of starting it. And it's such is like the a monster s- a genius in Frankenstein. I know he's intelligent. Oh, true. I actually have not seen the super old version of Frankenstein. Is because the monster's a genius in the book. Is he a genius, Brooker? In, in, in the movie, no. So in okay. the 31 movie, he does not... He, spoilers, by the way. Uh, he, he, <laughs> spoilers for a movie from 1931. He, he doesn't get to the point where he can like articulate uh, uh, like vocally, really. So there's like, a lot of like grunts and things like that. But in its sequel, uh, The Bride of Frankenstein, which Whale also did, he that which is better, I think. It's so good. Um, he does learn to communicate and uh, that was also like a deeper movie and it's a little mm. bit closer to the mary shelley text kind of mm. mary shelley's actually even a character in the bride of frankenstein cool um but yeah so Stop the podcast watching it immediately yeah no it's i highly recommend it but it's i'm going to pause the podcast for a second so the frankenstein movies are so frustrating though because <laughs> um well it's so because you have to remember, like, this is, like, during, like, the 30s. So, like, we just, like, got done with, like, a war with Germany. So, they, oh. like, so they wanted, like, no protagonist with, like, German names. So, right. Victor Frankenstein is not Victor. It's Henry Frankenstein. Stop. But there is still another character in the movie called Victor Frankenstein. But it's not the Victor Frankenstein. And it's so confusing. And is he, like, a ter- shown as, like, this really terrible He's just, person? like, Henry's dad. Like, it's just... <laughs> They just like kept the name for funsies. The oppressive father has a German name. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, anyways, okay. Frankenstein tangent done. Uh, (laughs) I do. What we kind of talk about. I do love how this is like a self-contained story, and Mm -hmm. like it's we we get like a mild origin story, but we'll we'll talk about it when we get there. But um, yeah, this is just. It felt like it kind of like a J.J. Abrams mystery box method of storytelling, and we're like. The Invisible Man was the mystery box because we get like that hook, line, and sinker early on where we see like he is invisible when uh, when Una O'Connor character uh, walks in on him when she goes to deliver the mustard because he needs because mustard is like crucial to this meal apparently. Yeah, um, he will die without it. And like it's like as soon as we see that he has like an invisible head or something, we're like, what? We cut back to his former colleagues and his fiance to see what he's up to and we kind of get like a little bit of breadcrumbs like oh he's gone missing how did he get this way so it's a lot of like mystery box mm-hmm. stuff that we're following mm-hmm. and it's great i mm-hmm. it it's such like a clever and quick way to like grab your audience attention and uh, yeah and that, that was a part of the the one of the strengths i thought of the film was the story as a whole not just not just the the, the big picture but also how they went about wading through and progressing and bringing to life new characters and new pieces of the actual narrative. I thought that was definitely one of the stronger ones of, mm-hmm. of the film. I also love how I thought it was, this, this is going to sound like stupid because it's probably like obvious that they would have done this, but I felt like it was just ingenious for him to have gloves because I just want to like mm. think about this for a second because as an actor, I'm not an actor, but like, you know, an actor, if I were one, I want to speak as one right now, um, you know, your tool set to convey, you know, your, the emotions that you're going through are like your voice and like your face, but they right. cut away his face. And so his, it's kind of hard for him to like convey body language in this, mm-hmm. but I thought it was so genius that in certain points in this movie, when he's like partially clothed, 
for like the important scenes, they still gave him gloves so he could mm-hmm. he could be and sorry to hear my dog. You could be <laughs> really he could be expressionistic with that with like finger pointing and things like that because mm-hmm. that's like very. I know it's kind of like a very strong and like demonstrative like uh, form of like body language being able to like point and things like that. So I thought that was totally very purposeful and genius to in certain parts when he's partially closed. Sometimes he has gloves, sometimes he doesn't, just depending on the types of emotions he needed for the scene. So I thought that was really genius. So, what what types of subgenres of horror were y'all thinking that this movie was blending into? I got a lot of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde uh, vibes off of this. Okay. Like, this yeah, kind of this fighting with... I mean, because he... Cre- in, again, in Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, for those of you who haven't read it, you have a scientist who is experimenting and creates this experiment, or this, you know... Uh, this potion that essentially creates an alter ego within himself and the uh, without spoiling the end he is trying to suppress and push away this other entity that lives within himself uh and will come out in the wee hours of the of the night in the morning and so it's i mean this darker side of the invisible man because he starts as this like brilliant scientist and I think he's brilliant all the way through but he goes from I'm trying to create something new and advance and progress the sciences to I'm going to use this to not only steal what I want and do what I want but take over the world and even when he's talking to his fiance the way that he kind of shows it is like I'm doing this for you but then whenever she's not there he's like I'm doing it for me I'm gonna run the so it's kind of this like he created this other version of himself through his mm-hmm. own, you know, desire to progress the sciences. So, yeah, you know, again, all that to say, I kind of had this uh, a mix between drama horror, um, a little bit of psychological thriller, um, a little bit of science fiction. Right. And yeah. I think this is just what I get from just old movies. Um, I don't know if you guys know gothic genre. That's specifically. Not, oh, it sounds yeah. like it's it sounds like it's a or grittier thing than it is, but gothic is more uh, uh, in reference to like the uh, the scenes, like if you you know a, mm-hmm. a beautiful house or you know whatever. Uh, but it kind of again, I talk a lot about texture in film, but like the texture of the film felt very gothic at times. It wasn't. I don't think it was supposed to be, but I got gothic vibes off of it. Huh, interesting. But, yeah, just a very just kind of a reflection of there. There was like the. At least in in my mind, it's kind of in the same category as, uh, but like a little bit different than Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Mm. Like yeah, the the, the monocane is definitely making the. Uh, which one's the evil one? Is it Mister Hyde? That's Mister Hyde is Mr. the Hyde. well. I, I you say evil. Uh, he's he is the, the alter ego. He uh-huh, is the, the alter ego. Well, yeah, he is the uninhibited one. I'll okay. say that he yeah. is not. It is a. It is a release of a piece of that... Of societal restraints. Yeah, but it's something that lives inside everybody. But, and Dr. Jekyll in the book... Again, I, we go a Frankenstein tangent and a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde tangent. Uh, but it's like, he he is a well-mannered, very, like, almost soft-spoken, very sweet man. And then this horrifying, like ravenous individual is birthed from his soul so like i mean it's it's i think it's a rep again that's it doesn't matter it's a represent <laughs> it's a rep it's a we, we do dr jekyll mr hyde podcast but it's a representation of something that i think is within all of us but uh yeah, yeah it's it's uh yeah but anyway uh rachel do you have anything <laughs> no, I, I just think that's such a fascinating additional comparison to bring in because i mean obviously this is like horror slash science fiction because hg wells is such like a huge science fiction person Mm. um but i also find it really fascinating that this director sort of like swayed towards two really like bodily science fiction stories that essentially come down to the question of like what if we did this but at what cost like Mm -hmm. what if i like i love frankenstein i absolutely love frankenstein the book I haven't. And Mary Shelley. And Mary Shelley, but um, <laughs> the goddess that is. But these like questions of like, can I like, can I create life? Can I completely alter life and like shape it in my image? 
And once I have done this, like, like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, like I no longer have inhibitions. Like the thing I found most fascinating in Invisible Man is when he was talking about his speeches. Like I obviously watching it was like, okay, if I could be invisible, what would I do? Like Mm -hmm. being like, and if I like don't have morals, what would I do? And like robbing banks, totally. I like, (laughs) I'm on board with that. I'm like, okay, yeah, you take money. But he went straight to, I want to do random acts of violence. Yeah. Like I want to hurt people for the sake of hurting people. And I was like, Damn. Well, it's hurting That's... people for the like hurting for people. Fear and power. Yeah, for hurting people in the name of showing your superiority and your uh, yeah. your ability to oppress. Yeah, and yeah, I was it, like, wow, that is a leap from what I would think of. Which doing. Uh, it's really humans have been doing for all of written history. Would we not also do that if we did not have the the mental capacity to say this is wrong and I shouldn't do it? But is that, and maybe, I mean, this is three people on one podcast, um, mm-hmm. and so I wish I could get, like, 40 people on this podcast so we could get some more <laughs> I mean, there's at least two, well, objects. I can, there's a Dr. Jekyll, or a Mr. Hyde somewhere inside of me, so there's probably mm-hmm. a Mrs., like, there's probably, I could probably pull 40 people out of me. But I found that fascinating that he, like, and this is what I really want to talk about, like, he does this, he, like, has this power, and he's like, I will immediately use it to subjugate and cause fear and mm-hmm. oppression, and that, like... In all of my worst, if I was like, I have no inhibitions, sure, I would totally rob a bank, but I would never go that far. And I so wonder if that's like a gendered split. Like, like in Mary Shelley writing Frankenstein, that her intention in writing Frankenstein was like, if man could create life the way Mm. women can, man would create life to destroy. Mm. And so like, is that a difference? Like, women, if you're out there and you became invisible, <laughs> would you have the intention of immediately subjugating and oppressing? That's why you said women, if you're out there. <laughs> women, if you're out there. That's if one a, woman is out there. That's a really interesting point you bring up, Rachel, because I haven't seen it yet. But there's so this spawned kind of like its own franchise. Actually, all of these universal classic monster movies have like six or seven sequels to all of them. Mm-hmm. There were six Invisible Man movies. Whoa. But one of them is an invisible woman. I haven't seen it, but from what I've mm. heard, it's more of like a slapstick comedy <laughs> than, than it is something like this. So I, I think that kind of like sort of proves your point a little bit there because, you know, you know, kind of like the dichotomy of, you know, when if it was a woman that became invisible in this, you know, what would be her motivations? And that was something that I wasn't that like, that was another reason why I was kind of like comping the dark knight to this movie so much and especially like uh jack griffin to the joker because he kind of just wants chaos for chaos Mm -hmm. he says he Mm -hmm. wants to rule the world but he's he says we'll rule by like making people bow down to us by like Mm -hmm. causing fear but you know there's no real plan there's no real like goal of like what he's trying to obtain because like he's like he does rob a bank at some point but he doesn't keep any of the money he just gives it all away which made me think of how Heath Ledger's Joker just burnt his half of the money in that movie. And so, I don't know, like, he he just seems to just want to cause fear and is kind of getting into how, like, power corrupts, too. Because it's just, like, being invisible, I don't really get how that, like, gives you power. Because, like, you're not, like, super strong or anything like that. Like, I don't know. I feel like the police come up with good ideas of how to capture him in this. And so he's just able to evade it loosely a little bit but like i don't know like i don't know it's kind of like oh i'm invisible now i could rule the world it's like i don't see that direct connection exactly so it's kind of like this false or not really false it's hubris that he has but mm-hmm. i don't know it's so i guess to circle back to the original question what was the <laughs> subgenre i was getting out of this <laughs> uh it was obviously sci-fi horror um i was also mm-hmm. kind of getting like slasher ish kind of too because you know he is kind of like the jason Voorhees in this with he is literally manhandling people to to kill them and also causes a train derailment to kill 100 people mm-hmm. um and which like such a violent scene out of freaking nowhere yeah right i mean he did like there was like some foreshadowing of that because he, he mm-hmm. did say maybe i would derail a train or something like that yeah but um also you know this is also a monster movie, even though it's such like a, I don't know, it's, it's such like an in- interesting like case study for a monster. Because when I think of monster movies, because, I mean, it is a universal classic monster movie. I think of like Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman, Creature mm-hmm. from the Black Lagoon. But like, he's literally just an invisible man. Like that's, you know, there's no like 
and he has gills or anything like that. He's literally just invisible. So it's kind of interesting to think like, yeah, this is technically a monster movie, but really he's just a man. Yeah, which is also... (laughs) (laughs) Which is just so, I mean... Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll save that thought. This is more of a conversation about the fear in the actual Ooh. movie. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll save that for later. Yeah. But yeah, this pretty much what I got. Sci-fi, horror, slasher, kind of. And of course, it's a monster movie. According to Dr. Carl Albrich, there are five types of fear that all humans share, including extinction or the fear of death mutilation body invasion loss of autonomy separation and the fear of humiliation shame or worthlessness i.e the death of ego so i kind of like to use this as just like ground floor you know just to get the juices going but uh, what types of fear do y'all think that this movie is playing off of well so i did not pick specific pieces from that list but i same, did have some same this is like the first movie where i went you know what i'm not really feeling any of these fears too much <laughs> well, in it well there were a couple but it was like i think it like it was a lot of like yeah i could squeeze that into the that category yeah it's like technically yeah uh i had um a few uh so l- loss of control is one of them so he he slowly loses his mind as he uh, goes from kind of this this inspiration of discovery to a desire to you know oppress and abuse um, mm-hmm. just the world you know if whatever his motivations were if he had any whether it was a a, a, a madman or a you know a want chaos or he wanted to you know whatever it was just the the idea that you would in some capacity lose control because that was not his original intention and even as he died he was like I can't believe I did that. Mm. um so yeah loss of control i also had um separation um this wasn't something Mm. that he was necessarily afraid of but it was kind of the idea crossed my mind of you know what if it is you turn invisible and you don't get to like the only way you can be present in the world as in present by the the eyes of everybody else is you have to wrap yourself up if you don't have that then there is this removal like you can willingly that's a good point there's a willing separation from the entire world and kind of the anxiety of standing there and saying can anybody see me and like and i guess that's kind of the the extreme side of that is no one can see you no one can hear you no one can touch you but that's like the first step is you're invisible and then you're mute and then you're you can't be touched anymore. Like it's just the progression of complete separation from reality. That's such a um, good insight into that. That's something I never thought of for this. Yeah, I don't know if it was like he didn't necessarily experience it, but watching it, be like, oh my gosh, what if? Um, yeah. The this this was the really big one for me. Um, I called it the the conscious monster, uh, is what I call it. So it's like the uh, in 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 a lot of situations. Uh, or at least like as a kid when you are going to sleep and this is different from other from between the people but you know you're afraid there's like some gurgly monster some werewolf or whatever under your bed and it's going to jump out and grab you or you know whatever but if you can like get under the covers they won't get you or if you can race to the bed they won't or whatever like this is a situation where you could be in bed and the person could be sitting in the chair in the corner and you would not know about it. And it's not that it's just an invisible person, but it is a person who has cognition, like has, has a, has a scientific mind who can reason, who Mm. can come to rational conclusions, who can say, this is how you turn a doorknob. This is how you, I could sneak past you in the night. This is how I could unlock a, like essentially a, like a robber but there's a monster proponent to it so there it's there's no real weakness it's not like oh well it's an animal or well if as long as you like it's a human being but with the kind of this this monster entity to it it's you know he's invisible he's going insane but he's still a scientist who has you know the ability to make decisions so uh, so do you think that this is kind of like then like sort of playing because he's because you're kind of emphasizing the point that he's a scientist is this kind of 
making a point that uh, we should be fearful of like the boundaries that science is pushing for? I mean, not necessarily for this fear in particular. Okay. Uh, th- that that might be part of what the movie is trying to convey, but it's more of the. I mean, he's just uh, like Rachel said. He's just a man mm-hmm. who is invisible, and it took hundreds if not thousands of people to take this one per like he's not overtly athletic he's not like bloodthirsty he doesn't have like this superpower he just you just can't see him and yet he robs banks and derails trains and murders people like circumvents entire police forces like that is absolutely terrifying he's not a criminal mastermind he's just a guy right and yeah. yet he can all of this stuff can happen so it's kind of the yeah, the, 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 there's probably a better word than conscious, but like the, uh, and intelligent doesn't feel like the right word, but a monster who can have deduction mm-hmm. and come to reasonable conclusions, not a, you throw a rock and they go, oh, and they wander off to another part of the woods just trying to find their victim. It is a, I am making a conscious decision to walk into this house. Why? Because there's a person in there and I'm going to kill them. And it's like, oh my gosh, like that is that is yeah. terrifying. So like the scary thing about him is that he has like problem solving skills. Yes, he's an intelligent human mm. being. And like it's the it's it's the what makes a monster so scary, but take out the all of the weaknesses of like they're stupid, they're an they're an animal, they're slow, they have no real ambition, they're just like a robot or they just are driven by animalistic tendencies. But it's like the the worst part of a monster and the uh, by most accounts the biggest strength of a human being, you know, the intelligence and the problem solving. Mm. Uh, and it, yeah, the those are the fears that I, I like thought that. of. I like that a lot. Um, we both had separation, um, and so I picked separation and rejection for, um, like, like, he's now made this decision and will never, like, as long as he remains like this, will never be reaccepted by society. Like, he will always have that sort of layer between him and everyone else. Um, and I also put loss of autonomy. I thought that was a really fascinating thing to be listed as one of the fears because he sort of gained like new and unheard of autonomy while losing Mm. everyone like every other idea of autonomy like now he can do whatever he can go wherever he can rob banks he can get on trains he can crash these trains he can do all these things but he's now lost the like average regular person autonomy of like going to the inn with your friend and having a meal like he has he will never get that back as long as he's in this state. And so, like, in the pursuit of this level of freedom and autonomy, he's lost everything else. Um, which I do, to your earlier point, like, is this a question of, like, the limits of science? I think pretty much all science fiction is asking that, mm-hmm. not in a judgmental way, um, Yeah, is kind of the point. Um, and so, like, it's so interesting. I wish I had a better understanding of, like, <laughs> science and culture. Um, when they would have been making this in the 1920s. Um, like, I know that would have been a rise of a lot of, like, Darwinism and, um, mm. like, all the different kind of thought of, like, we're, like, fighting world wars and we're having all this power and, like, what is that, like, the power at what cost? Mm. Um, but I... So those are <laughs> those are two of my main ones. I'm pondering through all of this. I... Third one, which, again, might be something completely, completely different... Um, and just a completely different perspective. This is not a fear for him, the Invisible Man, but there is something just, like, really awful about the idea that, like, him in order to, like, be his, like, invisible self is fully naked. And just this, like, (laughs) fully naked person is wandering around and you can't really do anything about it. Um, Even the parts where, like, he has his friend, the, like, other scientist guy, um... And he's, like, sitting across from him, which I guess is supposed to be kind of funny. He's, like, smoking a cigar, um, yeah. like, sitting in that chair across from him. Oh, like, so creepy. Like, so awful to have to, like, think through that logistically. Like, if you were sitting across from a person and being, like, I can't see this person. Um, mm-hmm. Like, and so that, I think the threat of bodily invasion uh, was a big part of the fear in the movie, even if that wasn't supposed to be necessarily coded or necessarily like mm-hmm. written into it. It's also kind of like an interesting metaphor too, that like at his core as a person by like core, I mean like, you know, naked 
mm-hmm. you can't see it. You don't know what he is. So it's kind of like you really don't know what's going on like behind the eyes of anyone. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like you can't see past what whatever is being presented in front of you, sort of. So it's, it's kind of like that fear of like, but what are they really thinking? You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's kind of like as you were talking about this, that's kind of like where I was like, ooh, that's a connection I haven't thought of before for this. It was, those are, I like your uh, things. I also like that in a movie full of so much death, none of us picked death. Like, none yeah, of us were like, like the fear it, in this movie is death. Because it, I, did, I didn't really think that. Yeah, because, like, it's his experiments with monocaine that kind of led him to this condition. And it's also what's driving him psychologically to be violent and mad. But it wasn't like there was also a caveat with that, like, oh, and, like, it's also poisonous. He's going to die in 24 hours. You don't give him an antidote for the monocaine. Uh, which, by the way, is not a real thing that gets rid of pigments. It's like a local anesthetic. But uh, <laughs> but uh, it's just kind of interesting because as I was going through this, as I said earlier, I wasn't really picking up on many of these. Like, I was like, the fear of death. Like, okay, like, the character of Kemp, his, his colleague that he threatens to kill, is the mm-hmm. only one that's mm-hmm. really sort of uh, experiencing this. But, like, it, and I, I talked... I. I brought it up as a question as whether or not this movie is like an allegory for we should be fearful of like the boundaries of science or whatever. And I think like, like you said, Rachel, all sci-fi horror movies kind of do present that, but I wasn't really getting that. Like, I don't think that's like what the take home of this movie is, is just kind of more of a vehicle for entertainment sort of in this. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of, I wasn't really getting so much like this, like the science of this is what we should be fear fearful of it's just we should be fearful of people that obtain power like a lot of power very quickly and because mm. like he didn't really go through the i mean yeah sure he worked on these experiments but he didn't exactly go through the trials and tribulation and, and all of the failures and lessons that you should learn to where like you get to the point of power so that way you're responsible with it he kind of just got it pretty quickly and so it's kind of like that fear of you should be scared of anybody that gets power overnight because Mm. they don't know how to be responsible with it suddenly i realized the power i held the power to rule to make the world grovel at my feet (laughs) and that's like kind of what i was getting from this is that they get a lot of hubris from that as well i love that i also think that makes a lot of sense as to why like you said like if i turned invisible I would not immediately be like, and now I can take over the world. Like, yeah. it would not be that straight jump. But it's also part of like he, the monocane. Mm-hmm. They they write that in that that's making mm-hmm. him go crazy. But still, that was like the the direction he took his craziness. You know. I know, like, we kind of talk about this really isn't, like, too much of a scary movie, but was there any sort of scene or just kind of, like, anything that, like, jumped out as, like, you know, what what you would call the scariest moment of this movie? Yeah, uh, for me, uh, the, his voice was the scariest part of this movie for me. Oh, I love that. I love that. Uh, But it was my favorite part, and it was also the scariest part, because he would jump from this calm like he was talking to his friend and he was like to have a seat like you know could you just sit down like we're going to be partners in this now and it's very calm and then next step he's he's just like howling like oh i you know there this is going to happen i'm going to do all this and whatever but it's like so deliberate and it's so convincing and it's not like you can look at somebody in the eye and be like oh he he's conveying anger he's conveying fear he's conveying something it's just cool, calm, collective, disarming, and then penetratingly loud. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's almost on a dime at some points. And then even, like, he's so, like, oh, you, you called someone, you called the police, I knew you'd call the police, and then he's alone with this girl, and then he is this completely other person, like, I'm doing this for us, I'm doing this for us, and then they leave, and he's running around throwing police officers everywhere, and he's cackling, and it's, mm-hmm. it, yeah, so really just the 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 ebb and flow of his voice mm-hmm. um is the spookiest part for me especially like as you said like when he's trying to like con people like when he tries to like tell kemp that they should be partners like we should be partners like and everything yeah. is just yeah it's great we'll begin with a reign of terror a few murders here and there murders of great men murders of little men 
Well, just to show we make no distinction. I might even wreck a train or two. Yeah, it's And it's great. so, it's him being like, this is a good thing, but you can see just the, and it's everybody around him that kind of cues you into like, oh, this is terrifying. Like, he's not sitting there being like, okay, this is a good idea. He's sitting there being like, oh my gosh, I can't see him. Oh my gosh, he's talking to me. Oh my gosh, is this a good idea? Oh my gosh, I can't read, I yeah. can't see his eyes. I can't read what he's trying to say. I can't see if I can trust him. Yeah, it was, it was yeah it's amazing like how much you kind of like realize with the characters, like how much like body language plays into how you perceive someone talking to you for sure mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. i had the scariest point to me was uh when he goes over to kemp's house for the first time like kemp is like mm-hmm. in his study listening to the radio uh has like a, f- a small fire going and you kind of hear over the radio that you know this town has gone crazy they think that there is an invisible man which i also think it's like a very funny trope that we're seeing so early in horror movies that like that trope of somebody not believing somebody else when something bad is going on it's like this whole town is crazy there's no way there's an invisible man but anyways um totally when you know, him going there and like moving all the furniture putting a log on the fire we don't see it and he's like mm-hmm. and uh, we see kemp is just dumbfounded at what's happening like his jaws on the floor and we see how mm-hmm. fearful he is which is like you know a big praise to like the the, the performance from him and it gets so scary when he's just like sit down he like yells at him you see he like swings up a like fire poker and then mm. we just see like his little butt cheeks sit down on the <laughs> on, on yeah. the chair but um and him just like telling him all this stuff and eventually he gets clothes on and i love that we get like the backstory and like his evil plan by like the camera just looking at him and it's not like this overlaying of montage of like stuff that happened to him beforehand mm. or whatever what he wants to do it's like Hey, he's an invis- he is an invisible person. Of course, he's going to command your attention. We're just going to have you just watch him sit in a chair and just listen. And I don't know, like, I, I could see if I were Kemp, this would be freaking terrifying. Yeah, yeah, that was that that yeah the the ebb and flow of that scene was definitely one of the spookier ones. I, I agree mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, no, mine was the stuff with Kemp, like, just the building of. Um almost that feeling of being trapped like once he gets into the house even in your own house yeah yeah like there's nothing that he can really do about it and even the slow build of like i'm going to come back and i'm going to kill you in this certain amount of time yeah um, yeah he comes back which, so like, kill you at 10 o'clock yeah and that idea like that is a horror that i thought was done really well in um stephen king's it like the idea that you could never really get away from pennywise no matter where you went mm. like there wasn't like a safe zone mm-hmm. there wasn't a like, you couldn't get under your bed, or you couldn't, like, exactly what Levi was saying. Um, and he managed, with no supernatural ability, to, like, have that quality. Which I think is the best use of, like, horror when it comes to being invisible. Is he, like, he got in the car and he waited, what was it, like, two hours or something? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just yeah. The sort of, Kemp's death yeah. would, was probably my favorite out of this. Not because I wanted the character to die, because that was definitely, like, I don't know, to me, the scariest is it's probably like a toss up between this and the train derailment, but yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Kemp's was pretty scary. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, Kemp's death, I thought for sure, was the scariest and just the weird, creepy, long lead up to it. But I think you guys made such a good point on um, him, like, less even his invisibility was the scariest thing, but so many other aspects of him. Like, I think it could essentially be summarized in like his volatility. Like, even if he was not invisible just the fear of something as simple as like he comes in he like gets this room at the inn and then the lady comes up with the mustard and he loses his mind like yeah that is scary regardless of his invisibility just like you can't you don't know what he's going to do next you don't know the like level of violence he's going to bring to the situation and it's doubled by the fact that you like can't read his body language and you don't really know how to gauge it or how to dodge it but Mm-hmm. He was so much scarier than just like the actual like monster ability that he had. Yeah, yeah. Again, because it's, it's just really playing more into like the man part of the invisible man that was scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of said my piece about the message of the movie about just how I feel like that this is just a story about how power corrupts and how mm-hmm. hubris is also the downfall of people in those positions. Yeah, my, I, I honestly I like yours better, Broker, because of that. I think the the. Yeah, the rise to power quickly aspect, I think, is really good. I put down progress for the sake of progression can often result in regression. 
Mm. Boom. Put that Boom. on a t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> but it was, it was just like the thought of, so there's, I think there's a big difference between the, and it, it kind of, it kind of touches on your, it isn't the fear of science progressing too far, but it is, you know, are we progressing science because we're trying to heal uncurable disease, you know, cure cancer, mm-hmm. help with, you know, chronic diseases, or are we doing this so that we can have, you know, who was the guy that, you know, the guy with the EpiPen who's selling or, oh, or, or, or insulin yeah. or whatever it was for like, you know, $500 a pop because he's the only one that has it. Like, yeah. are you creating things and doing things that would end up helping people or would end up like advancing technology or advancing science or, you know, advancing our perspective in some way or another. But the end goal is this is for me. And I'm not talking specifically about like, like pursuing emotional health is for you, but that's a good thing. Like, you know, you, you might be trying to, you know, help with racial reconciliation and you yourself may be a person of color. That is a good thing. Like that's not selfishness. Like that is, and it's not selfish to seek emotional and mental health. That is a good thing that is beneficial for your entire life. I'm saying things like, you know, like I said, like you are, you know, I'm curing cancer and I'm going to sell it to all of these hospitals and all of these people who are willing to pay me a a crap ton of money. Yeah. It's definitely like like the intention behind it. And that's like a really good point they bring up because as I mentioned earlier, we don't really know like why he was doing these experiments so Mm -hmm. maybe it's possible monocane didn't like drive him crazy like he was maybe he was like already kind of there before doing these experiments and that's like like maybe like this all just kind of makes sense to like what he was wanting to do in the first place so yeah that's a good point uh my interpretation was that um a life in isolation has no purpose like he oh shit (laughs) I, f- uh, like, I feel attacked. I'm just kidding. You're, you're oh. like, uh, you are not in isolation. You have, yeah, you have a dog and a human. And I know, you, I know. Friends, you us. <laughs> you have us, right? And, <laughs> and not to say, like, obviously, not like, there's a lot of people in isolation right now. He chooses isolation. Like, he, mm. through the course of these thousands of thousands of experiments, knows that the outcome, like, what the outcome will be. And though it is referenced that he thinks at some point he could perhaps figure out how to reverse it. Like, he knows that he will be cut off from society once he does this. Um, And he, in doing that, gets this absolute power. He can now apparently rob banks, crash trains, etc. But he's lost all human connection. Like, he loses his fiancée, his friends, his... Mm. All the, like, people around him that grounded him and made him a person. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... Again, all good sci-fi says, at what cost? And, like, at (laughs) what cost to him gaining ultimate autonomy was losing all, like, human autonomy. That's good. Put that on a t-shirt. Thank you. Put that on a t-shirt. That's good. I don't know what the t-shirt thing is. I just love it. I just love these, like, the idea of these increasingly text-heavy t-shirts. Like, they're not cute. It's just huge blocks of text. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. All right. So, time for a fun segment. The Cabin yeah. in the Woods Trinket, what yeah. movie prop from this would you put in the basement of the Cabin in the Woods from the titular movie? And uh, once picked up or played with or whatever, it would summon the Invisible Man. I feel like that there are a bunch of candidates for this. Yes. So I immediately thought, like, again, ran with the first thing that came to my mind, but the way that you find it is obviously a big part of it. So like in Cabin in the Woods, you like the music box is like, there mm-hmm. and i can't remember if they wind it up and then it plays or if they walk up it starts playing i can't remember they definitely wind it up yeah they wind it up okay so it's his goggles like his his <sighs> 1930s glasses goggles like that's yeah. obviously i feel like that's the easy answer because that's like his most prominent feature that's the thing people remember from the invisible man but it is not just <laughs> that on a table you it's in a it's in a box in some kind of box i haven't really thought about what the visual is i just pictured like a like a a pine box just a normal square and when you slide it open it's resting in like hay it's resting that's in hay. beautiful that's so, beautiful yeah so the the symbolism of obviously you know his his demise, his demise kind yeah of, 
his resting in the hay. Which I also um, love that he died because he just needed a nap. Like I just, right, yeah, I know. I just, it, just, <laughs> it takes it takes a lot of energy to, to derail to a train. Yeah, yeah, really. Just, yeah, they're like, "Fuck your farm, dude. We need to get this guy." He's like, "Okay." And if freaking <laughs> okay. it snows, and that's just the whole can of beans that is just mounted against him. But the idea that I thought of it was, you know, it's it just looks like a box, and I I don't know. It's not sitting prominently on a table like the music box, you know, the music box or whatever it was. Uh, it's it's stashed away like it is it is seemingly invisible mm-hmm. until you find it so once uh... you find it then you know where it is and if you have the wherewithal to actually open it up then you see um, and then you you put them on and I don't know if that means that the invisible man is summoned <laughs> or you become the invisible man if you put the glasses on and maybe that's the caveat of if you pick them up and you just and that's what ends up being then the invisible man shows up but if you actually go the step further and you put the glasses on then you fade away and you start to lose your inhibitions and you become the monster there we um, go that's that's so that's that's, that's a, the that's my cabin in the woods that's a juicy twist trinket i love that levi turned a fill in the blank question into an essay question yeah that was great i loved it <laughs> love it love it, love it, love it. <laughs> no it's it's never yeah it, it says goggles slash glasses and then there's a line drawn arrow pointing to the back of the page and you flip it over and it's the you drew a full comic it's it it like the there's like one of those blue books stapled to it yeah yes. <laughs> exactly the full 14 yeah. pages that's right um for your bonus content you can use the clip of when he said goggles i like threw my body down because i was positive you were gonna say gloves because I picked goggles, and I was positive you were going to say gloves. You thought I was going to say gloves? Yes. What made you say, think it was going to say gloves? Because he's so, like, all the stuff, he's so emotive with his gloves, and all the, and the pointing, and the feet. And, but that was Brooker's point. That was Brooker's point? Dang. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, I hope you picked well, here, gloves. Here, I, here, I'll let you think here. We'll, we'll tap out for a second. Yeah. No, I, I have uh, mine. Oh, no, like, oh, go I'm, ahead. No, I'm I'm still doing goggles because I I 100% thought goggles. I just thought we were going to pick two different ones. Um, yes, I think it's the goggles. I think the when you see the goggles, obviously some poor tween puts the goggles on and sees him invisible. So it's a, a naked man just standing in the basement. Oh my god. And he's it's kind of like there. a 13's ghost, a 13 yeah. ghost situation. And he's just and they and they're like, "Oh, what crap." And so obviously as you'd freak out and so they like freak out and they pull the goggles and then he off puts them and on. he puts the goggles that's on. that's really good and so oh. i just the like i could see it immediately the like hard cut of the it, character um... like picking up the goggles and being like look at these weird things and like camera turn and it's just that's really good. just standing i'm, oh, I'm gonna so vote good. that we just combine ours into one answer <laughs> uh-huh. where it can the be hay. the it can be the 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 box but in the, the hay I, I, in the hay, but yours is better where when they put it on, they see him. And then That's he, really good. And then he puts them on. And then he yells, so you give those bick. Cause, cause everybody... <laughs> give those bick to me. Yeah, what's all this? Keep back there. Keep back me. He keeps calling you his fiance's name, and you're like, who is it? Flora, yeah. Which, Flora, by the yeah. way, I forgot to mention this. <gasps> Kemp has a picture of Flora on his mantle in the study. I don't know if y'all saw that. Yeah. Like, yeah, I would not like this guy either if I were uh, Jack Griffin. Anyways. Um, <laughs> Weirdly, though, Jack Griffin's not going after him because at least I don't remember him saying anything about it. It's like, you're going after my fiance, you son of a gun, I will kill you. <laughs> but it's like, but it's like he, he, he just like, I mean, I think it just allows us to hate him. So you're not like, no, the invisible man killed this kind human being. I don't know. It was just like, uh, there's literally no other women that we could get a yeah. picture of. So just, yeah, really. <laughs> there just are no other women. I mean, yeah. I think I would have also, I would have been well, very upset. Everybody if knows that there was Clarence. another woman until Elizabeth Moss to make the remake. So yeah, there was just <laughs> between 1933 and 2019. There were no other women. Yeah, there were no other women. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Yeah, so uh, Rachel, you're you're lucky to be alive. I'm just kidding. Yes, <laughs> yes thank you. I feel uh, really grateful. Mine was the fucking swanky ass robe that he steals from Kemp. <laughs> Dude, oh. that getup he he wears when he like he, that uh, Kemp gives him. I was like, I would, I wouldn't dress like that now. Like that looks amazing. Mm. Uh, yeah, just fancy monster wardrobe. Uh, give it to me. Fancy monster 
Wait, so is it like a? It's in the basement, hung up like with all like yeah. It's, it's just a like bunch on a of, coat like, rack. Plaid, it's just on it's a like a bunch rack. of plaid shirts or like all like navy, like navy pea coats, like old timey like trench coats, and then one glamorous robe. Yeah, is and you just go ooh, that looks like something I want to get snuggled yeah. up in in this cabin <laughs> in the woods. Yes, please. And like, you know that's... the the jock the jock who is actually the fool is the one that puts on the robe like he's the one that is well, he's just like oh it's a boxing robe like that's where like he goes yeah. with that yeah <laughs> yeah and he says uh, and 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 uh, this would be only if it's like in sorry if it's only in like 20 or 2021 20, like you met he's like shadow boxing and you're imagining him being like look i'm holyfield or look i'm tyson or look i'm ali but he's like look i'm logan paul no. and he's like punching the oh, air and you're like oh this me. guy sucks yeah like, oh god kill him this guy this guy right yeah. here Ugh. yeah he, he gonna die real quick put it big yeah <laughs> it big uh well uh do y'all have so blah, 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 blah. all right <laughs> huh. uh, rewind it big <laughs> <laughs> like we, must, we must go big to the future yeah <laughs> we must go big oh <laughs> uh, i also love the constable in this he's like he's invisible that's the that's what's the matter with him it, it's kind of just like oh that explains it cool oh uh, it's all so clear now yeah uh anyways before we start to wrap things up, do y'all have any closing thoughts to The Invisible Man from 1933? Super good. If you haven't seen it, go see it. If Well, if you haven't seen it and you listened all the way to the end, like, bummer. But, like, you should still go watch it. It's, it's still so a great good. experience. It's really fun. And there's an appreciate. I mean, there's something weirdly comforting about watching something made in, like, the, yes. the 30s and 40s. Yes, like, it's, I agree. It, it, if you can find something that doesn't have any, like uh outdated uh how do i say this outdated moral themes um like this movie that doesn't you know there's not like ooh that's not super great that doesn't translate well into 2020 they but don't this exactly has... talk to flora real well in this but yeah that's right but, but given... you know you acknowledge and you go okay that's not cool yeah. given everything else that was happening in the 30s i was actually pretty impressed with how relatively smooth the process went Mm -hmm. Um, for the movie but yes you should absolutely watch this movie 94% on Rotten Tomatoes is a very very fair grade Mm -hmm. Uh, it's definitely worth a watch and now I've got to go watch Frankenstein I haven't seen that yet I need to make that happen yes yeah I really want to see his Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein maybe something my still favorite of all time like old horror movie is still the thing and so if anything can ever top that then full kudos and credits yeah yeah, it's so, did this top the, the the thing. Here? Oh no, but oh. maybe <laughs> spooky old dark house. This was great. This was yeah, seriously yeah, yeah. great. But thank you so much, Rachel and Levi, for coming on to talk about the Invisible Man from 1933. Everybody, be sure to check it out. Be sure to check out my Buy Me a Coffee page, where I'm going to have a commentary track for this movie on there at the Skeleton Crew level. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, uh, share me with a friend. Visit my Buy Me a Coffee page. Follow me on Instagram at Brecker Horror. I will see you guys next time. Watch some good movies. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. And one last shout out. Shout out to Shelly for being part of the Skeleton Crew on my Buy Me Coffee page. Thank you so much for your support, Shelly. If you want to be like her, you could join my Buy Me Coffee page at buymecoffee.com slash Brucker Horror.